What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about this really cool deal that my good friend Jeremiah is in the middle of doing right now out in Long Island. And I, we, I was actually at his house what was this, last week. We were hanging out for like six hours. And you know we've spoken about this a few times. And I just figured this is a really good uh, way to kind of show people like how you can go from just starting out in the business to fixing and flipping to eventually doing luxury development. And uh, Jeremiah has done exactly that. So before we get into this, deal, Jeremiah, and the nuts and bolts breakdown of it. You know, how did you get to this point? Because some people might not know who you are. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been fixing and flipping homes uh, for seven years now. And, uh, you know, it just started with one small deal where I remember I made like $25,000 on. And I think it was like, it was actually a pretty decent size rehab for my first deal, like 70, 80,000 and had a pool and everything like that. Um, and again, it was just, you know, one flip after another, and then you start doing a lot of flips that are six figure renovations. And then you start doing, you know, million dollar houses that are, you know, quarter of a million dollar renovations. And so it just seemed like the natural progression. I mean, granted, the this is a three and a half million dollar house. The most expensive house I'd done prior to this was 1.1. Mm. Um, so it was a bit of a jump. Um, uh, but again, once you do enough of these, you start to realize realize what the patterns are and it just becomes bigger numbers, but the skill set for the most part is the same. Yeah. And that's interesting you're saying that because I remember we we were in that casino a couple of months ago and you said that one of your biggest level ups in your business was getting the right contractors on board. Because sure. you're doing mostly rehabs. So that's a whole nother business within the you know the direct marketing business. So how have you been able to like get these contractors because you're, I mean, you're giving them what, four or five, six houses a month. I mean, that's a serious opportunity for both of you guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, listen, I probably leave some money on the table. Um, I could definitely, you could find somebody a little bit cheaper, um, but I don't think the quality would be as good. I think I'd have to spend more time supervising it. Um, and that just takes me away from areas that I'm not good at. And quite frankly, on this house, um, I've been subbing everything out for the most part, yeah. just because we're dealing with such big numbers that, and obviously I need, I know how important it is to do it right. So I, I've kept a personal eye on this house, which has taken up, you know, a lot of my time, probably more than I anticipated, but I felt it was important to really involve myself because when you're doing a project of this magnitude, uh, even though it's just bigger numbers, uh, and the skill set remains the same. You have to be careful because you might think you have this big spread, but you know we were just talking about it earlier. Every line item could be a hundred grand, a hundred for foundation, a hundred for windows. That if you're not careful, compound that enough 
um, over the course of, you know, different trades and different things you have to put in, um, you can find yourself really digging into your profit. And that's not, I didn't want to put all this time effort into it. Obviously, I want the experience, but I want it to be a successful project for me financially. Yeah, yeah, especially too with those. It's just the the fact that the windows are, I mean, just that whole, that's a whole nother level. I mean, what normal renovations, what a hundred grand, if it's really bad and you're, you're yeah. talking about windows. So let's just jump, jump right into the deal here. So obviously you, before you did this, you had a lot of experience. So you didn't just go in this thing willy nilly. So how did you, number one, how did you find the deal? And then what, what made you want to make this kind of deal happen versus just do the regular you know, plain Jane fix and flip kind of scenario. Well, I think um, the deal, you know, the deal came into our CRM um, by off market leap. So it was a, was a, a, a motivated seller. Yeah. It came in through our CRM um, and it was somebody that it was a secondary property. He lived in the city. The house had kind of fallen into disrepair and the numbers seemed good, not great to just basically buy it, fix it up and put it on back on the market, but not amazing. And then somewhere along the line, I, the idea popped in my head of, well, what if we just knock this thing down and build a new house? And then I remember bringing it to my realtor and uh, he was, you know, I didn't really think about that. You know, I said, well, let's try it. You know, let's see what happens. So what we did was, is we took down the house, we put it out as is, um, as an as is purchase. We were getting some really, really good feedback. Um, and we're getting a lot of activity, a lot of offers, but simultaneously, we also put a rendering. I, I paid a lot of money to have a rendering of the house put up. Yeah. I knew I was kind of, you know, taking a risk of spending seven, 8,000 on this fancy rendering um, to potentially just sell it as is. But I wanted to try both. We put them both up at the same time. We actually had gotten a really, really good offer for it as is that I was going to go into that direction. But then the older guy ultimately backed out and, we were getting good offers on the house as is, but all of a sudden we had a buyer come out of nowhere, more or less, and say, hey, you know, I want to buy this house. And we ran the numbers as if it was going to be a new build. And uh, the numbers are just a lot better. You know what I mean? As a new build. And so we said, you know what? We're going to we're going to do this. Um, I, I think. Is it possible that when it's all said and done? We'll still make more than if we just sold it as is. But I think the experience here of doing this um, and just everything that, you know, I think the reputation that you develop and it just add, it adds another, you know, tool in the toolkit, right? Yeah. To be able to do something like that, especially now with the market changing, the ability to go in and do a house of this magnitude allows you to do maybe one or two of these a year. Um, and now, obviously, having done new builds before, but now doing larger scale new builds, it's just something else to add into the repertoire. So I'm, you know, happy about that. I really am. Um, and we're going to, I think we're going to do very well on this project. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, we're, what we're all trying to do, right. We're all trying to level up our game, you know, take yeah. it to the next level. And that's really what we're doing here. So when you say took it down, you mean closed on it first, and then you tried to sell it on like a whole time. Sell it as is, whether somebody wanted to knock Pump it down. And dump style. Yeah, just put it on as is. You buy the house, you fix it up, you know. And like I said, we we're getting some good offers, and I want really good offer. But we decided to go down this route, and uh, it has been an experience so far. Yeah. Uh, but we're fortunate. I mean, have some mistakes been made? Yeah, but so far, not on wood. They've been relatively minor. You know what I mean? Um, and I think we've been very, very lucky that we've had the right crews. You know, logistical stuff hasn't worked out quite the way we wanted it to. Um, but from a design, a build, 
budget standpoint, you know, everything's been on track. So from that, from that end, I, we've been very lucky. Oh, that's awesome. So you, I want to try to, so you bought, so what did you, what did you end up paying for that property? Just if you 852,000. You bought a fixer upper for $852,000. So this is obviously in the nice luxury area in Long Island. So this is not like that. That's a good deal in that area. Right. So you have two options. You can sell it as is, or you can do the construction, uh, the ground up construction. Right. So now you decide you're going to do this development deal at this point. So you, you already own the house that's taken care of. Now, what did, what did you, how did you forecast those numbers? Because now you're, now you're basically taking something and you're basically buying it for land value. And then you're, you're going to future, future project what that construction is going to sell for probably by the square foot, I guess, in that area. So how did you make the, cause this is a, this is where some people might be like, Oh crap, that maybe I can do that in my area. Maybe I'm in Jersey. Maybe I'm in Westchester where I am. Like it's, it's all. Well, I mean, we ultimately knew that, you know, I had to be in all in between purchase and repair for under 70% of, you know, the 70% rule on a flip is always a home run, but in a new build with the length of time, you got to be under that, right? Wow. You got to be under the 70%, even with the numbers that higher. Because of how how long it takes, right? Got it. Um, So uh, we did the math based on what we thought it would take to build the house, which, you know, we projected at the time to be about a million and a half plus the 850, you know what I mean? So that put us in, you know what I mean? For two, three, you know, a little over two, three. And I said, we're going to put it up for three, five. If we get three, five for it, and we have somebody locked in at three, five, then we know we've got enough spread to make this work. Yeah. That's in fact what, you know, we did. Um, So I think when you're doing these new builds, yeah, even on smaller construction, the 70% rule, you got to be under that because, so much time and it just eats into your costs. I mean, fortunately there's taxes aren't very high on this property. We don't have a lot in the way of utilities, but our interest costs, you know what I mean? What we're paying to our private lenders and everything like that really adds up, you know, and you do that over what could be an 18 month period, you know, it's, it's a lot. That's a lot. So then you obviously had to figure out the, the soft cost component. And that's what I want to cover now. Like you, 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 instead of going in and, and just renovating the existing, you had to, you can't not file a permit for a new construction. You're going to be, you know, that job will stop in two seconds. So how was the process from getting the property, you know, from where it was to knock down to then like, what, what did that, what did that look like? Cause I mean, so the first thing you have to do um, yeah. is, you know, obviously you got to get a survey, you got to get plans, you got to have the proposed plans on the survey. And then you got to take that survey along with uh, you get soil tests done um, to determine, test- you know, what your what your soils like to determine what your health the sanitary system that you need, yeah. and you take all that information with the size house, plot it on the survey along with your soil samples and a few other things, and you submit it into the um, an engineer. Engineer will come up based on what they see with a proposed sanitary system. In this case, they call it the IA system, right? about $40,000 septic system. And it's beyond what a normal septic system is. It's much, you know, there, there's electrical components to it. It, It's pretty intricate, but you take all that. The engineer draws up a plan. They they submit it to the, uh, sorry about that. I I hit something on my keyboard and took the video off. Uh, And they'll submit it to the department of health. um, I didn't even know that. To get an approved health system. 
once you get an approved health system, then you can take that approved health system along with your plans and everything else, and you submit that to the building department. So when we finally got the official sign off, this was in like February, it took a few months, about three months to get our health system in place. Um, the per first person that we hired um, got, I think, a little bit intimidated by the project. He saw the soil test, and I guess he had an approach that would have been incredibly costly to do. Um, so I actually wound up finding somebody who was a little bit more local to that area. And they're like, no, 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 you don't have to do all that. Then we'll, we'll come up with a system. They weren't cheap, but they got us the system. They built it. They put it through. And within, so I guess that was in February. So March, I would say we submitted it and to the health department. And then by May, we had our approval back. And you had then, a building uh, permit ready to go. Like no, just our health department. Oh wow. Okay. Then you take the health department approval along with the plans and you submit that into building, which took about three months. Um from May, so June, July, August. By mid-August, we had our, our building permit and we and we got to work right away on that, you know. That's not that bad. No one long. It's not terrible. I mean, in a lot of other townships, it could take a really long time. Um it ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's a six-week turnaround, an eight-week, a 12-week. We got in on a relatively good period of time. But, yeah, um, it's not terrible. I mean, if you think about it, like we started, and if I had to do it over again, I probably could cut that time down a little bit. Um, but, you know, you think about it, March, April, May, June, July, August, so five months total. But there was prep work that went into that. Obviously, you know, I had to get plans drawn up. I had to plot it on the survey. I had to get the test holes done. I had to take that... Um, you know, I had to get, obviously, all the stuff with the architect sorted out. So there was a lot that, like, went into it leading up to that time. So if you really think about, like, when we dove into doing this, um, I really say we started in January, you know, in yeah. January, February. And it wasn't until August that we had, you know, approved building. And then, like I said, we're going to be, we started it, you know, we've got the shell built. We're going to start the mechanical soon, in early December. Um, you know, we're hoping by, by April. Done. You know, we're done. We're done with the house. But, you know, and by the time we get the final COs and everything, this is going to be, you know, an 18 month process. What about knocking the thing down? How does that work? Like, is that a pain in the ass or that's part of the whole permit process? That's part of the permit process. Yeah, I mean, there's something that they make you do. Um, they make you get like a letter from uh, the electrical authority saying that like, yes, hey, indeed. well, Oh yeah, PSE and G that hey the wires have been disconnected from this house and you know what I mean and I think you have to get asbestos removal you know assume that there's no asbestos in the house so that we knock it down and you know the stuff doesn't spread into the air um, even though it's probably relatively minimal so um, we you know luckily enough that passed we didn't have any issues there um, and once you have all that you submit that in with your building permit but you need that letter from PSE and G saying hey you know the electric has been disconnected from the house got it. If that was in the town of North Hempstead, you'd probably still be uh, like oh, yeah. there always complains about that building department. Yeah, you'd still be waiting for permits. Yeah. <laughs> With so, variances. I mean, listen, yeah. we're unfortunate. It's a big plot of land. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't have to worry too much about variances. East Hampton is very strict about how much you can clear. So where we are is considered a water recharge area. And so our clearing limitations are, are less. You know what I mean? How big is a lot? That, that this thing is an acre and can you sub subdivide that and put two or that that would not work that would not work we built the biggest hobby i guess i mean could you subdivide it potentially we didn't explore that but you wouldn't have been able to put out much of a yard so um and we built the biggest house possible that they would let us for that size plot of land 
You know what's interesting? I'm I'm doing this math in my head right now, and here's some interesting connections I'm making. I have a piece of land I'm flipping in rye. I'm buying it for five sixty five, and I'm selling it for six thirty, and it's okay. it's a vacant infill lot, conforming, like no bullshit on it. That property is probably going to sell for the same price you're selling yours for, and I'm just thinking about right now. He's going to make a really good profit on that because he's getting it for about. 150, 160 grand cheaper than you paid for that house, yeah. almost 200. So with he may not even be building. I don't know how big the lot is. He may not even be building as big of a house. He may not. No, be he's not. An no. 800 square foot pool in with a spa, and you know, there's a lot of things that like I had to do. You know, um, and obviously, like the landscaping bill alone on this house is is enormous. So it may not even be that intricate of a house. So um, yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean. If he's building, let's just say, a four thousand square foot house, and it's relatively straightforward, and he's going to get three and a half million, yeah, there's a reason he's willing to pay you that much. He's got, and it's that's connected to the city. That's there's no septics over there. Exactly, it's, even easier. Plug and play. Next time you actually get one of those lots, let's talk because maybe we'll build. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, and that's like only an, an hour from where you live. That area, it's not that yeah. far. Anyway, so I was just thinking about it. I'm like, man, that no yeah. wonder he's paying me six thirty. I should have sold it for seven. But anyway, um, interesting. So, so now you're you're in the construction phase of it now. So this is a selfish question. If it, ha, ha, what is the sequence of of order to do a new build from you? You obviously have the the septics and all that whatnot. But like, once you have a foundation or a basement dug or you know laid out, what what is the order of events to get that thing from nothing to you can eat dinner in there tonight you get the so you get the house uh demolished you know yeah. you have your surveyor come out and kind of mark where the house is going to go yep. uh you dig out a big hole more or less to put your you know foundation walls in and you build your found you you pour your footings you, know, you pour your foundation walls after that basement you dig basement or you go slab no you dig basement okay you dig a big hole footings walls you wait a few weeks for it to cure. Then what I like to do is then put the first floor system in. So if you think about it as a big open box, right? You don't yeah. want to have too, if you backfill and you have too much side to side movement, you're creating stress on the foundation walls. Whereas if you cross brace it with the first floor framing system, it kind of gives it some rigidity, right? Yeah. Then you backfill it all. Then at that point, you could start framing once you start framing and it's framing is all done, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously condensing it here. You basically put the paper on the roof and you tie back the house and all that. Um, and you just hopefully get your windows in time, which we should be getting ours pretty soon. You install the windows. You have your, um, I should back up a little bit before you tie back the house. You want to get a strapping inspection, make sure all the strapping is good. So your order of, what do you mean strapping like this? Stra strapping is the strapping you'll see. It's those metal clips that run around the house that basically bridge uh, where when the house is put together and you've got like plywood everywhere, it yeah. basically bridges the sheets of plywood together. Okay. Um, I mean, it does more than that, but it, it more or less ties the entire house together rather than just be a series of just screwed on plywood, yeah. the strapping adheres one to the, you know, one sheet of plywood to the other. And it does more than that. Again, I'm generalizing here, but going back to foundation inspection, strapping inspection, framing inspection, then once you're done, you get your mechanicals in. So your HVAC, your plumbing, your electrical, you get inspections on those. 
Then you do your insulation inspection. Um, and then at that point, you could sheetrock the walls. While this is all going on, potentially, especially if you've had your framing and strapping done and your windows are in, you could side the house, you could roof the house, you know, you could do a lot of that. Um, while obviously you're getting your electrical plumbing and your insulation done. And so the building department passes, is making frequent appearances at this point. They're they're yes, checking up on yes. it. Yes. So they make a lot of appearances between uh foundation to basically um insulation. There's a lot. Okay. And you close up all the walls, you sheetrock everything, you spackle, you paint. At that point, um, you got to be, it's a little tricky because you might be running a new heating system, but you don't want to run a brand new heating system while you got all the sheetrock dust in the air. So you got to either keep replacing the filters or use an alternate source of heat. Um, but then obviously once it's all sheetrocked and spackled, then it becomes just like any other rehab, right? You know, yeah. paint, floors, trim, kitchen, bathrooms. Now, what I will say is during this time, knowing that this is a high-end house and that there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done, and there's a lot of things that are special order. You need to, like I ordered the moment my first, I didn't even have the whole house framed. I just had the first floor framing done. So the kitchen outline where the kitchen was was framed, we came in and ordered the cabinets, right? Mm -hmm. Before we even had anything, just to get that order in. You know what I mean? The first thing I did when I got my building permit was I ordered the windows, right? And that was in August and we still don't have it, right? Like, wow. so those are the things you have to really stay ahead um, and make sure that you're ordering everything ahead of time. I've already ordered and paid for my appliances. You know what I mean? I've already ordered my flooring because you know everything's six to eight weeks out at least, and it's not a stock item. Um, it's all special order. And so you need to make sure that that stuff is bought and paid for ahead of time so that when it comes time, either you got a place to store it, temperature controlled, or it shows up on jobs job site the moment you're ready to put it in. Are you doing all this or do you have someone on your team ordering all this? this I have, I might tell somebody on my team to order it. You know what I mean? I, I'll be the one, you know, saying, hey, you know, we need this, we need this, we need this. I'm not making the actual order, but I am the one telling them, like, make sure by this day we get these done, you know? Got it. And then once the house is complete and you have all the cosmetics figured out and everything's like, it's sitting there and it's ready to go. Now you have to have one more inspection and then you're set or is it? You have the final, yeah. And then they basically either approve it or they say you need to change and then yeah so you have the final chances are they'll come back with usually on the final is going to give you the hardest time and they'll you know have come back with a bunch of things you need to do and then at that point um they'll uh they'll basically sign off on it and you submit your I and mean, keep in mind while this is all happening you're also doing your your health permit is a separate permit altogether, right? That's not with town of East Hampton. That's with Suffolk County Health Department for your septic. Yep. So presumably while you're building this house, you're getting your health system looked at and approved and signed off on. Once you get that in conjunction, you know, so a fully approved healthcare, um, healthcare, uh, health, health, uh, healthcare, the house. Yeah. Health, uh, health department septic system. Once you get that approval done, um, you take that in conjunction with, hey, I've passed all my inspections and a final survey, and you submit all that, and then you hope that they give you your CO, which basically says, okay, everything conforms, and uh, congratulations, you know, this, this is an official house recognized by the town of East Hampton, and um, we're done, and we close. Wow. That is a, that is an interesting process, because it makes rehabbing seem like uh, 
seem like shooting fish in a barrel. Honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot to do. I mean, and if you really look at the overall experience, the amount of time that goes into it, it makes you re- appreciate rehabbing a little bit more because you could probably collectively do a bunch of good rehabs that'll take you less time, effort, um, and make money probably just as much collectively on, you know, let's say four or five flips, you know what I mean? Yeah. That I would on this house. But again, you know, it's it just, it's not like this is coming at the expense of something else, right? You know yeah. what I mean? So if it were, you'd say to yourself, ah, maybe this isn't, you know, wasn't the right move. But if this is something you could do in addition to, but not in place of, I, I think it's a good thing to do. And it, to be honest with you, new construction is sexy. It's fun. I mean, it's fun. I mean, I'm definitely having a lot of a good time doing it. And granted, there's some people that I hired that drive me freaking crazy in this process. But yeah. um, and I had to do it over again. I would do differently. But yes. Yeah, you know, no, it's interesting. That is a very interesting process. Now that I kind of understand it from this, Sam, it's, it, it seems like this is a pretty good next step for people who might be rehabbing, who want to get to that next level, especially. Yeah, I mean, I think if you say to yourself, hey, listen, I don't want to do rehabbing and I want to just do some you know, big projects, you know what I yeah. mean? I, I think there's something to be said about it. Um, but again, it, it's an entirely different skill set. And don't forget, like I've pre-sold this house. So like I'm working with the buyer to, you know, try to customize things to a certain to the extent that I can to his specifications. That comes with his own challenges, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean? So it's not um, it's not that easy. And I think when you operate in the world of I build the way I want, I fix and flip the way I want, let the market decide versus somebody else who's got, you know, spending three and a half million dollars. So you understand. But, you know, they've got things they want to change, implement questions. I'm straddling both worlds. And, and I would tell you that's probably been the biggest challenge in all of this. I think it's easy if you're set up, if you're like, hey, I build homes on spec, I pre-sell them and I deal with buyers and you're set up in that camp. Me doing both, that has been a little tough. Yeah, for sure. Now, would you consider this still technically an infill deal or no? Because it's it's kind of like a hybrid. Yeah, like I think so. Shot, you know what I mean? I think that's who I would. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it was just, you know, listen, it would have been easier if it was just a blank piece of land, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because there's I mean, the reason I'm saying that is I, I wholesale the house in New Jersey last month and it was a straight infill. Like it's it was in an area where where was it in uh, Lake Hiawatha? So it's up by yeah. Morristown. And that area is just known, at least in this subdivision, where, you know, there's like a normal small house and then the next door house is a mansion. And yeah. then, so you can just like the way I looked at the deal, I was like, I looked at the lot size and I looked at what the new construction is going. And I, I had a buyer for it right away. Actually, this is funny. The way I found the buyer was on Google Street View. I looked at the new construction house, typed in the address, Googled it. And it was like uh, Roy buys houses, LLC. And then I called him and I said, hey, this is super weird. But I saw you just develop that house down the street. I got something for you. And he ended up buying the property, which was crazy. From awesome. Google. Google yeah, search. that's, that's you know? incredible. But the point is like a lot of wholesalers or even rehabbers, they just look at everything one dimensionally. And like, for example, that lot deal I was telling you about in Rye, on the surface, if you didn't know what how valuable it was, you oh my god, this guy's asking way too much money. He's asking five hundred and sixty grand for a piece yeah. of dirt. That's insane. But if you know what that could be worth, and I'll just cover that real quick. It's like I knew that new construction via the MLS was selling for three to three and a half, and I knew as long I called the building department. I said, "What does the lot size need to be in order to build?" So I just did the little bit extra homework. But that little bit of extra homework is going to make us like sixty five grand on a deal that didn't sound good on the surface. So it's like. This is yeah. a really valuable skill set, whether you're wholesale. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's, 
I actually had something else come into my wheelhouse in East Hampton two, three months ago that we put a bid on and I thought we were going to get it. And we actually got, wound up getting outbid by 50,000, you know wow. what I mean? And so we're like, okay, so we passed. It was not quite, it was still East Hampton, not as nice of a spot, not as big of a lot, but you could clear more there. But I also wasn't going to build as big of a house, but it's still the numbers work, but we got outbid on it. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go any further. Yeah, especially if it's that expensive, you know yeah. what I mean? What, what other parts of Long Island? I mean, can you see this working out besides the luxury areas? Like, can you do some infill in like Deer Park and Dix Hills and all that? Or is it not expensive? Um, I think you'd have to get the lots really, really cheap there. Um, that's a little bit more straightforward. We have a pro uh, property right now in Sound Beach um, that we're in the process of, you know, developing and getting approved. And we just got variances granted on it. So um, I think it can work, you know what I mean? But listen, as the market changes too, you know, I think sometimes you want to be of the mindset of, hey, I might have to hold these lots for a little bit or I'm going to sell it as a spec build. And you know, once again, dealing with buyers, which is fine. Um, but I think right now to build on spec without a prospective buyer with the way the rates are might be a little, little risky. Um, the only thing I can tell you on some of the smaller end stuff is that if you can build it, turn it into a rental you're going to have a huge spread there that you could probably refine most of your money out and that's a great rental to hold on long term because you know you're going to have you know obviously you have so much deferred maintenance on it oh yeah i mean you did all your yeah you, you did all your work for the next five to ten years in advance versus yeah that's there's some guys i know who do build the rent and they'll just build yeah. a duplex and they'll just keep it and then they have no maintenance well i mean within reason for for yeah. five to ten years it's interesting stuff, especially in, in New York, where, I mean, there's a lot of this in California, as you can imagine. I mean, you can buy a piece of dirt in California, and if it's in the right zone, I was telling you out in San Diego, you can build like five ADUs. In the yeah, yeah, I can't do that here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. If you could do that, there's a lot of value. But here, I mean, one of the problems we have, I mean, it's our problem, but it's also helped us a little bit as this market is corrected, is it's really hard to build things. Zoning requirements like make it very difficult to build. And we just kept inventory low, which obviously in the wake of rising interest rates, even though demand has gone down, we haven't seen really much of an increase in inventory. I was just talking about to someone about this earlier today. We're you know not seeing, at least right now, an increase much in inventory. Why? Because it's hard to build here. It's really hard to build. You know, California, I watch the, these people build houses, and I mean it's like, here's the lot, they build right to the lot lines. Nobody says anything. You nobody cares. It's totally yeah. And in New York, the foreclosure process takes so long in the eviction process. It's hard to turn those houses. Unlike in California, you can foreclose and if everything goes well, three months, four months if you they don't fight it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's a way different market. Yeah. I, I think too now, even with like the foreclosure bullshit, we were talking about that with your wife at, at your house, how long it takes to foreclose. I mean, that house is doesn't become available until it's an REO. And if it takes five years. I mean, that backlog is just going to be like years and years and years and years. And almost always, always be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it takes so long for it to come out. You know? Yeah. No, it's it's interesting to see how how everything will shake out. I, I think with them, I mean, we talk about this a lot, you and me privately, but, you know, I, I think it the market hopefully doesn't take too much of a decline, at least in where we do business in similar areas. Like it, we're in the suburbs in New York City. There's a good job market who knows what's going on with the economy we're in an area where people want to be versus like if you're in some like phoenix where it might be a little more dicey there where there's a little bit or florida sure. 
you know what and I mean? you're in an area where it's you know, again it's hard to build i keep going back to that it's harder to build and when it becomes harder to build you know people are developers builders even people like myself are not going to be you know too keen on taking a risk right like they're not because they know how long it's going to take and they know that the market could change during that time. That's a scary proposition for somebody. Oh yeah. Especially if you're building on spec without a buyer, because then you're, you're, you're hoping for the best. And then if it's funny, I was looking at a house, I might've mentioned it to you, but it's like a super bougie house, right? 20 minutes from here. And I was looking at the comps and there's new construction selling for like seven fifty or eight. And I had my ARV at like seven, seven fifty, And then I'm like, it's going to be less than this because if you can buy yeah. a new house for the same price, yeah, Why would you buy a house built in 1996 that has deferred? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Like the buyer would sure. ideally want to just get the new one for the same price. Sure. So you really got to know what you're doing. But um, yeah, we covered a lot today, man. So what um, what do you see happening in the market? I guess to, to kind of wrap up the show in the next maybe 24 months with, I mean, interest rates just went down yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it goes back to what everyone's talking about, inflation. Um if we're truly at the peak of inflation, the more that we see signs of inflation continuing to go down, the bond market will respond to that, right? Yeah. Um, we had a spike in uh, the 10-year treasury today because the job market report came out positive. And I think a lot of investors interpret that as, well, if the job market is positive, the Fed might be even more their interest rate hikes because they're not doing that much damage to the economy. They can continue to just re raise rates um, especially if jobs are still intact, they'll keep raising rates to the extent that they need to to, to combat inflation. Um, so that part of it today wasn't great, but you have heard them start to indicate that, hey, inflation may be peaking. Um, we may be on the downside of it. If we truly are on the downside of it, listen, we're not going to have rates in the threes. I think a best, best case scenario is, you know, high fours. You know what I mean? Down the line. Great. Um, you know, we're at six, a little over six and a quarter now. Um, if there's a decrease in inflation um, over the next six months to the point that everyone has, you know, stopped worrying about it. I, like I said, your 10 year treasury, which is what the 30 year mortgage follows roughly. I mean, it's not dead on. Um, then, you know, you might see the 10 year treasury move down to you know, two, two and a quarter or something like that. You know what I mean? And if that's the case, you're going to see rates, you know, 5% or maybe a hair below. You know what I mean? And again, I'm generalizing, but if we're there, I think everybody can stomach a 5% rate. I think a 6% rate is a little tough. It's like eh, seven, forget about seven it. Seven is scary. Seven, you're like hard money loan. I've borrowed hard money at seven before. Exactly. Six, you're like, ah, this is high. I don't know about this. But five, you're like, all right. It's normal. Cool. Anybody's okay with five across the board. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of where we, I hope that we settle in. And then we may move into a good seller's market, not the crazy seller's market of the last two years, but a good seller's market that you put a house on, it's competitively priced, you'll get four or five offers, you might get 10, 15,000 over ask, somewhere in that range. That's kind of where I hope to settle. But again, it goes back to what's inflation going to be. 100%. I mean, I remember the first rental I bought in 2020, I refied at 2.9%. And I, I, I was like, this is amazing. But then obviously, yeah. the, the more I did for the last yeah. one, it was like six point something. But it, it is what it is. The thing with the interest rates, at least from rentals, which is completely, as long as it makes cash flow, who really gives a shit? Like yeah. at the grand, in the grand scheme of things, the lower, the better. But who, if you're making a profit and you're paying down the principal and you can get your money out, 
who really cares what the rate okay. is? Exactly. I don't care. I mean, you know, but anyway, well, listen, if people wanted to get in touch with you and, and follow you and, and and hear more about this, I mean, what, what is the best way for people to, to, to kind of connect with you? Uh, I think messaging me on Facebook or Instagram, either Jeremiah uh, Dalton, you'll find me on Instagram or Suffolk County House Buyers or message me, you know, personally on Facebook. Those are the e easiest ways. You know what I mean? And I, I'm an open book. You know what I mean? I've I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of experience in the rehab world. And, you know, as we started to, we did some new builds and now we're doing a much larger um, new build. Um, you know, I got a pretty diverse skill set, at least in the fix and flip realm of it. You know what I mean? We'll do $300,000 houses and, you know, lower areas and we'll do eight, nine million, obviously three and a half million. So I, there's not many people that have as, especially where I am, have that as wide of a range, you know? Yeah. Most people just stick to one thing. You stick to one area, you know what I mean? One type, you know what I mean? But I've realized that if I'm going to keep, you know, the revenue stream going, I need to be able to do it in a few different ways, you know? That's awesome. Well, if you're in Suffolk County, you want to sell your house, I'd recommend you sell to Jeremiah. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, pal. Thanks for having me on.